grow up in the church. And uh, when I came to faith, I came to faith while living overseas. And uh, one of the things that happened when I, when I became a Christian, uh, even though it was like in the middle of the spring, I had a desire to worship. It was a strange thing. I just had a desire to sing. Problem was, is I didn't know any songs. I didn't know it. I didn't grow up in the church. And so I was out, uh, I remember biking, I was in China, so I was biking back and forth uh, uh, to work, and I thought, I want to sing, I want to sing, what, what can I sing? And I thought, Christmas carols. <laughs> I knew Christmas carols, but the problem is I only knew the first verse to every Christmas carol. <laughs> and I felt like that this morning, it was like, I was all over the first verse, and I was like, uh, uh, I couldn't remember, so I was glad Sarah uh, cued us in some of those. Um, this series that we're starting, this Advent series, is uh, Glorious Songs of Old, and uh, what we're doing each week is we're taking a, a Christmas carol, and we're kind of letting that be the theme of, uh, of what we're going to be looking at. And so we are in the first week of Advent, and to uh, many people, especially in the West, uh, Advent means one thing, and it's Christmas is coming. We call it Christmas season. Um, if you were at uh, the mall yesterday... And it's kind of a perfect storm, Black Friday, Christmas season, melding together. Um, people are getting excited. I think a lot of people get anxious at this time of year. I think some people are sad this time of year. If you were to use one word to describe how you think about Christmas and, and coming closer to Christmas, what word would that be? Now, I'm going to have you just... If you, no, you, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. But if you want to, just say to your neighbor one word that describes your heart as you get closer to Christmas. Okay, go. Just take a moment. Yeah? Let me hear some of them, if you're okay. What's that? Family. Okay, so it's, it's anticipation of reconnecting with family. Okay. Busyness, yes, busyness. Yeah, the, the, the time of peace becomes a time of incredible busyness, yeah. What else? Sharing, Sharing. yeah. Food. Food, yeah. Love. Did I hear somebody say distracted? Because I think that would be one, yeah. Huh. Family issues, yes, <laughs> that have been dormant all year. <laughs> they all rise to the surface at this most wonderful time of year, yes. Well, I do find around Christmas time, generally, people tend to be a little nicer to each other, a little more cheerful, not so much in the parking lots, but um, not bad, though. And I find that if ever a person's going to go to church, this would be the time of year that they would go. Um, we know this as a church. I mean, every uh, Christmas Eve, like what, we're having 17 services or something Christmas Eve. Um, and we have lots of people attending. Even churches that are empty throughout the year tend to fill up on Christmas Eve. And I get that. Uh, when I grew up, didn't really go to church. Um, if we did go to church, it was Christmas Eve. And I like going to church on Christmas Eve. Because um, it, was, it was a nice experience. I would hear stories about this young woman named Mary who had a baby. Placed him in a manger because there's no room in the inn. I heard about shepherds tending their flocks by night. And usually there's some kid up there with a house coat on or a bathrobe on. And I'd hear about you know, choirs of angels and 
mysterious wise men coming from the east bringing three gifts, one of which I understood, gold. Didn't know what frankincense and myrrh were. Um, but it was a good story. And there is something about Christmas time that a lot of people, a lot of people like. And uh, there's one very well-known world leader. This is the way he describes Christmas. He says this, quote, it's a story of hope. A child who would grow up to live a life of humility and kindness and compassion, who traveled with a message of empathy and understanding, who taught us to care for the poor, those different from ourselves, who compels us to live a, to build a just and tolerant and decent world. This world leader goes on. He says, it's a story dear to my family as Christians, but his meaning is embraced by all people across our country and around the world, regardless of how they pray or whether they even pray at all. And so, O come, O come, Emmanuel, Christmas, it's pleasant news to everyone, including atheists, we're told. But here's a question I want to ask this morning. What if, what if love coming down at Christmas what if Emmanuel, God with us, is not so good news? What if it's not good news, at least the way we, we think of it? What if Emmanuel, instead of offering comfort and joy, offers us something that will disturb us very deeply? That's the question I want to look at today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, we'll begin in verse 18. So the very first book in, your, uh, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read this. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus, this is your story, and we're gathered here this morning, and you're the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever, and would you speak to us? Would you speak into our hearts this morning and give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive and the courage to respond to what you say to us? In your name we pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the question today, what if Emmanuel is not good news? 
Do you know what? That's the second time that's happened. When I say sorry, the way I say it, it just, phones go crazy. Sorry. <laughs> Emmanuel. What does this name Emmanuel, where does it come from? We read in this passage, and this is to fulfill what the prophet said. Virgin shall conceive and have a son, and the son shall be named Emmanuel. What's the... Um, What's the passage that's being referred to here? Does anybody know? Who's the prophet? Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah. It actually comes from Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah chapter 7, if you, if you can find it, it's in the middle of your Bible, probably just slightly to the left. Um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10, this is where it comes from. It says, the Lord spoke to this king, his name's Ahaz. He says, ask a sign of your Lord your God. Ask for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But King Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, meaning Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that's where it comes from. So what I want to look at is what's going on in this passage that Matthew would quote it? It's an important question. You can't just pluck a passage out of his context. And how would this passage have been understood both in Isaiah's day and also in Matthew's day? So what is going on in this passage? Let me give you a little bit of background. The year is roughly 735 B.C., and Israel is in a lot of trouble. Kind of a running theme in the Old Testament. Israel's running into problems. You see, rather than fulfilling the promise that was given to Abraham, that through Abraham's descendants, a great nation would be built, and through this nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed, rather than being a blessing to all the nations, what Israel had ended up doing was basically, rather than affecting the surrounding nations, they were infected by the surrounding nations, and they took on a lot of their idolatrous practices. Um, and in doing so, they ended up breaking the first, second, third, tenth, all the commandments, basically. And as a result of all this, if you know the story, Israel is actually broken into two. Where in the north, you have the kingdom of Israel, and in the south, you have the kingdom of Judah. And in our passage, Judah in the south is under threat. And who's threatening him? Well, Syria, okay. But the other nation that's threatening Judah is Israel. I mean, that's how messed up things are. And so in the midst of this, you come across a king. And the king's name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is a very frightened king. And he's afraid because he knows that Syria and Israel are conspiring to attack him. And he's, he's afraid of this. And we see this actually in, in, in verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4. It says, it says this, be careful. Oh, Isaiah says, be careful. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps, meaning Syria and, and Israel. And in verse 9, it says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so what Isaiah says, Isaiah comes to the king. Isaiah is the mouthpiece of God. And he says to the king, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these guys. If you stand firm in me, you do not need to be afraid. Trust in me. And you will be delivered. 
Now, Ahaz is not convinced. Now, Isaiah comes back and he tries to encourage him again. And he says, look, 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 Ahaz. You gotta, I'm speaking on behalf of God. Stand firm. Look, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign. As high as the heavens, as deep as shale, ask for any sign. Basically, he's saying, pick a sign, any sign, just to show you that I'm not making, that, that you can trust in God. Pick a sign, any sign. And Ahaz, what is his response? His response is, ha, huh, far be it for me to put my Lord and God to the test. I will not ask for any sign. Now, it sounds pretty schmarmy because it's, it's false piety. Because what Ahaz has actually done is he's actually, he's actually uh, taking care of things on his own. He's bribed this really big nation called Assyria to basically, look, if these two nations attack me, can you go after these two nations? And so he's, put, he's figured everything out. He has, he's not putting his faith in the Lord. He's putting his faith in the bribes that he has given to the dreaded empire Assyria to help out and attack Syria and Israel if they try to attack him. So he's kind of figured things out. And I thought about this when I was looking at this passage. And I think a big question for you and I to ask is, when you and I are in a dilemma, when you're facing some challenges, where do you look for help? Immediately. Where does your mind go to to get out of whatever situation you find yourself in? Now, the right answer would be, well, it would be to the Lord. But where, where does your mind actually go Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you look for any kind of help, right? Or, or you just think of the scenario, think, okay, what can I do to get out of this? Like that, that's, that's often where my mind goes. And I figure things out and I said, oh, Lord, can you bless my plans that I figured out, right? See, one of the characteristics, a class that I teach at a, at a local college is called Engaging World Philosophies. But the whole point of the class is to look at how the modern world messes us up. And what the modern world does is the modern world, it says, yeah, you can believe in God, but just recognize this. God may exist, but he doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. You can get along just fine without God. God may be a, ni a nice little spice to your Sunday morning, but basically most of your life, you can get along just fine without God. God doesn't disappear, but he's eclipsed. He's pushed off to the side. Rather than being a very present help in times of trouble, he's maybe a last resort. So Isaiah, he hears Ahaz's refusal for a sign. And now Isaiah, he's not fooled at all. He says, all right, you're too pious to ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. You want to know the sign? Here's the sign I'm going to give you. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, when Ahaz hears these words, how would he have felt? Would he have said, oh, and a Merry Christmas to you, Isaiah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Emmanuel, God with us. Love come down at Christmas. This is awesome. I feel warm and cozy all over. Is that what he would have felt? See, you have to realize, Emmanuel, this, this sign that Isaiah gives to Ahaz it's not about some cute baby being born. 
It's a prophetic word of judgment, which spells disaster for Ahaz. It spells disaster for his house. It actually, in the end, it spells disaster for Judah. It spells disaster for all those who would place their trust in themselves, their own schemes, and their own power. If you're not sure about this, read the rest of the story and throughout chapter 7, right through chapter 9. I, uh, Emmanuel, rather than being words of comfort and joy, are words of impending judgment on the kingdom of Judah. So, Emmanuel is not good news for those who would rather trust in their own know-how, who would rather be in control, who would rather stand firm, not in the Lord, but in their own strategic alliances. See, the danger is, this is what this is the danger, is that we can have all these plans. We can have all these plans to do what we want. And the danger is, is that God shows up. We're in the, in the book of James, James says, he says, you guys, you know, you got all these plans. I'm going to go to this place tomorrow. I'm going to visit this place. And he goes, you don't know. Your life could be demanded like that. What are you going to do when God actually shows up? When God shows up, all of our trusts, all the things that we thought were going to support us are exposed as simply being ropes of sand. Yeah, I remember this. It's, 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 it makes you uncomfortable. I remember when I was an atheist and I'd be talking to Christians and they'd be talking about their faith in Jesus. And it, uh, it cut to my heart. It exposed my heart. And that's the thing, Emmanuel, God with us, is a warning. It's a dividing line where God exposes the heart and he divides those who will continue to trust in themselves and those who will stand firm in faith. And so in our context, in the context of Isaiah, Emmanuel meant judgment. Assyria, Assyria, the nation that Ahaz had put his hope in, the nation that Ahaz had bribed, would become the very tool that would not only destroy Israel, but it would actually weaken in, in the end, um, over, override uh, Judah later on through Babylon. Now we read this, that Judah in the end will be swept away because of what? Emmanuel. It says, watch out, Emmanuel is coming. So, in the book of Isaiah, Emmanuel, it is judgment, but it's not, all, it's not all doom and gloom because we know through the book of Isaiah that God's promise to Abraham is not forgotten, that Yahweh uh, still wants Israel to be a light to the surrounding nations, that this promise still remains intact. And he also says in, chap in chapter 9, he says, you know what? This, this promise that was made to Abraham and through the people of Israel, this promise will ultimately be fulfilled. And we read in chapter 9, it says, we read these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And you read chapter 9, you come across prophetic words that point to the coming of Jesus. You also see this in Isaiah 53. Now this brings us all back to Matthew 1, Right? It comes back to our Christmas story. What is Matthew doing? Why does Matthew quote this passage in this story from Isaiah? It's kind of a strange quotation. Why does he quote Isaiah? 
Well, one, he places the Christmas story within the larger story of Scripture. See, what the world would like is they would like the Christmas story completely unhitched from the Bible. If you unhitch the Christmas story from the Bible, then it really is a story about a nice baby being born and angels and singing and stuff like that. It's a nice story. But if you place it within the context of Scripture, you're left with a different story. See, the story of Emmanuel, the story of Jesus' birth, is the story that takes place within the larger story of Israel's calling and Israel's disobedience and Israel's promise. And the birth is a fulfillment of God's promise and desire that through the seed of Abraham, one would come through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. And then Matthew also does something else. He brings to attention the two names of Jesus. Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus, what does Jesus mean? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory. It means God saves. And this Jesus was going to save their people from their exile, save them from their sins. But Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? Well, often we read it as a God with us. That's pretty straightforward. It means God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Emmanuel, to be God with us. And that is true. That is absolutely true. But why, again, why does Matthew make reference to this strange passage in Isaiah? Well, what Emmanuel meant in the Old Testament is actually what Emmanuel means in this passage. Let me put it differently. What Emmanuel meant to King Ahaz is what Emmanuel meant to another king that we read about. Yeah. This, this other king, what's his name? Herod. Who actually, if you look at him, he's cut from the same cloth as, as Ahaz. And Matthew, what Matthew, I think, is doing is, is he sees the parallels between Ahaz and this other king, Herod. What are some of the, the parallels? Well, both were faithless kings. Both trusted in their own political scheming rather than God. Herod, if you know anything about Herod, he was ruthless, absolutely ruthless. There was an expression in the day, it was better to be Herod's pig than to be related to him. Because if you're related to him, you're going to die. Both kings were disturbed when they heard news that threatened their self-determination. Ahaz was disturbed when Isaiah shows up with his prophecy. Herod was disturbed when what happened? When these magi show up saying, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. We've seen this sign in the sky, right? Both kings displayed false piety. Ahaz, <laughs> Ahaz says, oh, far be it for me to ask for a sign from God, especially when I got things well in hand. Herod what does Herod say to the Magi? Oh, you found the king of the Jews? That's awesome. After you go find him, tell me so that I can go and kill, um, worship him, right? <laughs> right? When given the chance to submit to God, they both don't respond in faith, but they trust in themselves. Now, in the end, it's interesting, in the end, they both reject signs. They both reject the signs given to them by God. Ahaz is invited to ask for a sign from Yahweh, be it as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. In Matthew chapter 2, a sign is given as high as the heavens. 
A sign is given, and it's a star, right? And, and the interesting thing is that it's the magi, it's these outsiders that actually follow the sign to find the king of the Jews. They actually follow the sign. And I always find this fascinating but uh, if you know the story in Matthew chapter 2, you know Herod, uh, you know, the Magi, the three kings, right? The three kings, they come and they say, you know, where's the king of the Jews? And they actually turn to the scribes, the experts in the Bible, and they look it up in the Bible and they say, well, apparently the king of the Jews is to be born where? In Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem's like eight miles away. It's not even that far away. What's, what drives me crazy is that you have the experts in the word of God saying, yes, this king of the Jews that you've seen a sign that you're going to go see, eight miles south. Can't miss it, right? And they don't even bother to go check. Which I think is a big warning for us because you and I can know the word of God up and down and still miss Jesus, right? It's a real warning for us. But the Magi go. So what is Matthew describing here? Well, he's laying out right from the get-go what we learn in Isaiah, that the presence of God, Emmanuel, is a reality that cuts to the heart. And it either brings us to the point of worship or brings us to the point where we harden our hearts. And either way, Emmanuel, it's a line of division. It's a line of division. Will we respond like the Magi in faith or will we respond like these kings with fear and animosity? So the big question, and this is a question that runs all throughout the book of Matthew, is how are you going to respond to Jesus? Because when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, he divides. He divides. He says, he says, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go through the narrow gate? Or are you going to go with, 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 with the crowd through the, along the Broadway? He says, are you going to build your life on the rock, which is me, and stand when the storms come? Or are you going to build your life on sand? And so when the storms come, you're just going to be swept away. How are you going to live? This way or this way? Will you worship me? Or will you doubt me and walk away? And we see this right at the end of the book of Matthew. Will you receive an abundant life or will you stumble and fall over the scandal on the stumbling rock, which is Jesus? And at the end of your life, will you be wheat that is harvested or weeds that are burned and thrown away? This is Jesus' words. Will you choose life or will you choose death? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people love Christmas. Love came down at Christmas. Mary had a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. But again, this may not be as the good news that we thought it was. <laughs> and there may be some of you here this morning, you're like, I thought this was going to be like an Advent message. And you know, isn't this supposed to be all fun? This is heavy. It's the last time I come to church. And now I recognize some of you may leave here more disturbed than comforted. But I would say this, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I remember when I was an atheist, I'd be hanging around these, Christ, these Christians. And it was at Christmas. I was living overseas. And they'd be talking about Jesus, and I was disturbed. I was angry. It cut to my heart. 
because I saw something in them that I longed for, but man, I didn't want to give up all what I had, right? I was disturbed. But I think we need to be disturbed. We need to be knocked out of our complacency in the status quo. We need to wake up. And that's what, that's what Emmanuel does. He comforts the afflicted, but man, he afflicts the comfortable. Jesus is never a pleasant add-on to life. You can't, you know, I like yoga and I like Jesus. I like both. You know, they're kind of fun together. You know, Jesus is not, Jesus is not some, he's not some modest program for self-improvement, right? Jesus is not one of those, like, you know, things are going well for my family. It's, it's, it's good. A little bit of Jesus won't hurt either, right? A little bit, of, it'll, do, it'll do me good. It'll do my kids good anyhow. We should go to church. A little bit of religion will help. Jesus is never a means to spice up your life. Jesus is life. And apart from him, there's only death. And when confronted with Emmanuel, we are, in, we are faced with an important choice. We can either say yes and with the Magi bow down before him and live. Or we can say no like Ahaz and Herod and say, man, I'm in charge of my own life. Thank you very much. But in the end, in the end, and I know it's not cool to say this, in the end, what scripture is very clear is that you and I face judgment. Things that we do that we shouldn't have done, things that we didn't do that we ought to have done, we're going to have to pay the price for those. So here's the point. You can't be indifferent to Emmanuel. Emmanuel cuts to the heart. We need to respond to Emmanuel. See, the love that came down at Christmas is not a sentimental love. It's not a a hallmark, when calls a heart kind of love. (laughs) I can see who watches when calls a heart. It's a holy love. It's a love that sets us apart and invites us into something much bigger than ourselves. It's a purifying love. Yes, the mag- like the Magi, we meet God and God will meet us where we're at. You have to realize that God will meet you where you're at, but he's not going to leave you that way, right? His desire, is for you, his desire is for you to become the very person that you were created and redeemed to be, the most fully you. That's his desire. And so the love that came down at Christmas is a love that's so amazing, so divine. What does the hymn say? It demands my soul, my life, my all. It's a transforming love. And I love this with the Magi, because the Magi, after they worship Jesus, it's an interesting phrase that Matthew uses. He says, and they're warned in a dream about, about Herod, and it says, and they went home a different way. It's a great uh, poem by T.S. Eliot. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, I know like four poems. Um, it's not like, oh, David's a poet. No, I'm not. Uh, but I know a few. I know th- there's a poem by T.S. Eliot called Journey of the Magi, and it talks about this, about after encountering Jesus, how do we go back to our old lives? They went home a different way. And so this Advent season, we remember the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, such disturbingly bad news to the status quo. But oh, such wonderful news to those of us who have wondered whether there's more to life than this. 
It is wonderful news to sojourners, for those who have wandered for most of their lives not knowing where their life is heading. Running through life, but never knowing where we're going. That was me for so many years. See, it's the same prophet Isaiah. It's interesting. In, in, in chapter 53, he describes our lives. He says, we're like sheep gone astray. Each of us have gone to our own ways. And what does it say? It says, the Lord has laid upon him, Emmanuel, all of our sins. And on the cross, Emmanuel, the same Emmanuel who divides, he also reconciles us so that we can be reconciled to the author of life. We can be reconciled to the living God of the universe that we can call the living God of the universe, Father. And he will come and live within us by his very presence, the Holy Spirit. And so the the question, the question we're left with this morning is this. If he's calling you home, will you listen? Will you turn? Or will you keep going the way you want to go? Emmanuel, God with us. It's good and bad news. Let's pray. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, you expose our hearts this morning. You expose the fact that uh, when, when trouble comes, where do we turn? As we go through life, where do we find life? And where do you figure in all this? Lord, your desire is to be the center. Your, the, your desire is to transform us from the inside out to become the women and men we were meant to be. And you, and you make this possible through the cross, through your life, death, and resurrection. And so there may be some here this morning that have been, up until now, been pretty content doing things on their own. And yet you've cut them to the heart this morning. And they have a choice as to whether to keep going or like the Magi, bow their knee and turn to you. Only when we die to ourselves can we truly live. Only when we stop wandering can we come home. Jesus, you are our home. You are our life. And our lives only will work when we are connected to you. And you're calling us. Lord, this morning may we turn and hear your voice and come home. In Jesus' name. Amen.